Are we allowed to swear on this? Because I know I was thinking that too, but I swear a lot. You put clean lyrics. Did I? Yeah. Oh my gosh, (laughs) it says clean lyrics on on um, iTunes, and I was like, does that mean I can't swear? I saw that, and I was like, did I do that on purpose? Because I'm not clean. I thought you did it on purpose. I think I need to change that somehow. I have to figure that out. I'm new to this. So I told Paula to record her reaction to uploading our teaser and my first reaction is wow just I guess there's a lot of positive comments from friends so that's really comforting but I think what I realized after uploading the teaser is I say like a lot like there's a lot of likes in there so I'm gonna try to stop doing that But yeah, the support from other people is really nice. And yeah, that's my thoughts on it, really. It's funny because I was thinking about this and we had tried like a totally different concept for the teaser. And I was thinking about it and I was just like, we released our first attempt. I don't think I would be this excited to share it. To be honest, because I'm so happy with how it sounds, with how it turned out, that I was really, really excited to share it. So it wasn't so much being nervous. The show aspect is is more what makes me nervous than the actual podcast, because it's really fun to make and I really like doing it. I haven't really put on a show before, so having people know about the show now makes it extra real like it was real when we when we booked the venue it was real because we put money down I mean, that was a thing but now that people are like oh i'm gonna come to your show and now it's out that that is a little that's a, that's a bit much you know like it's exciting but it's also there's so much to do still that's why i'm like oh my gosh but it's it's fun because i i love everyone that we have telling stories and what we're doing but yeah there's a lot to do, so that part is scary. But it's gonna be fun. I'm excited. Hi, I'm Annie. And I'm Paula. And you're listening to Shut, Shut Up, Nobody Cares. So let's uh, get to the point here. We just talked about our reactions to uploading our teaser, but if you are interested in seeing what our friends and family think about it, you can go ahead and check out our blog on www.thesunkshow.com. And sunk is S-U-N-C. Yeah, and also something that I feel like we forgot to mention before about our show, on August 24th at the Gladstone, you need to buy tickets. Um, they are they are available through the Facebook page, through our website, our, yeah, the event page, anything, anywhere you've found us before. But yes, you need to buy tickets anytime. Don't rely on the door. Get your tickets. Ten bucks, guys. That's all. For a night of magic. Magic. Exactly. <laughs> three hours of magic. Oh, three hours. Is it three hours? How long is the show? Uh, I think it's a little bit less than three hours. But yeah, let's just say, just to say it's under three hours. Of magic. Of magic. It's me. I was wondering and after all these years you liked me. You gonna keep going? To go over 
everything. I couldn't even help you. I don't even know the song. They say the time's supposed to heal ya, but I ain't done much healing. It's Hello by Adele. I know, but I don't like that song, so I don't know words. Hello. I don't know. I wanted to continue with uh, Lionel Richie's song, but I forgot the lyrics. <laughs> How does it go? Oh, hello. Is it me you're looking for? I don't know beyond that. I might, I might be able to mouth it. Oh, yeah, there you go. I can mouth it. If I, I can something, something, something. Uh, I feel I feel ashamed that I know Adele's and I don't know Lionel Richie's. I knew Lionel Richie's and then Adele came and messed me up. So I think we talk about this almost every day, but we wake up and, f- and have this weird feeling of an existential crisis because I have no idea what I'm... Like, it's so stupid, like, what my purpose is. It's this not, whole spir- actually, spiritual it's thing. It's not... Well, I don't think it needs to... I don't, it doesn't get that deep for me. But it gets you deep did, for me. But you did text me the other day, or message me the other day, and you were like, I don't know what my purpose is. Yeah. And I, I was thinking that was about yesterday. that. It was, probably, it was honestly probably yesterday. And I was thinking about that because... Um, I was, I'm, apply, I'm applying for some fellowship or whatever. I haven't told you about it, but that was literally last night. And I was writing the essay... And I was just like, yo, like, I literally don't know what my purpose is. But it's also a matter of knowing what you want your purpose to be. And then, like, how, when life feels like it's forcing you in another direction. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it, I feel like right now, or maybe you're, maybe that's what your whole 20s is, like, fighting that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. fighting where you're, you feel like you have no choice but to go. Because we, we, we know what we want to be doing. Yeah. Like, we know what we wish we could be waking up and doing every single day. Yeah. But it's also, like... We also need to get a job and we need to pay bills. And it's like, what's the easier route? Or it just, and I feel like that gap between figuring that out is like the really frustrating part and the really confusing part. Yeah, it's like, do you want your life to be easy and you could be making money doing literally whatever, an, like an administrative job, something that you don't, you don't, you know, you don't want to do, but can make your life easier? Or do you go, yeah, do you follow your dreams and, do it the hard way and that's why I guess I felt so sad yesterday I woke up and was like is all this hard work worth it that's what I always think too I'm like am I even going to end up where I want to end up after doing all of this work and then I'm also like you just mentioned administrative jobs like I'm like I need a job right now like I need a job like I also I also want to just say that in my my cover letter like just hire me that's all I want to say like why don't you talk about my skills just hire me anyways but like it's also just like I don't want to get stuck doing these doing these jobs that's why it like pains me to apply to jobs that aren't what I want to do or aren't even in the realm of what I want to be doing because it's like I don't want to get stuck going down that path I don't want to be that person so I don't know it's just like yeah it's just back and forth a lot of back and forth yeah confusing it's just a lot of it's a lot of double the work you need to be doing for example like if I go back to an admin job you know I'll make that nine to five money which is nice but then I'll have to go home and work on my creative projects that I want to be doing for the rest of my life but it's a lot of extra work and it makes me tired it makes me angry I work I wake up in the morning going to work so like resentful of the world yeah but that's also what I've been learning a lot about like watching a lot of videos people who start their own business and like entrepreneurs and stuff like that and like I learned that this recently in the panel that I went to when I was in New York and one of them was just like, I, I think that's where I heard it, but they are just like, like, don't quit your day job unless like your business is at a good point. Like don't, yeah, be, essentially like you're gonna have to slave yourself 
and like bend over backwards to make it work. But once your business, once your own project has reached that point where you can get rid of your day job, then wait for that point. So it was just like, I guess we just have to feel shit. It's just crazy. Till that point. So, like, yeah, I quit my job of four years, the one that kind of got me through university, the one that, like, got me through the the last year after I graduated, and I just felt ready to leave, but then I realized, oh, my gosh, I have car payments. I have my phone bill. I have my my mom and my brother's phone bill that I also pay for, so I picked up a part-time job because of that, and, like, I end up kind of working the same amount of hours that I didn't want to work. So it's just messed up because either way, I find myself double working always. Oh, well, yeah, you have to because until our regular job is what we want it to be, we have to. So I, so she just updated you on what she's doing. So I, in a nutshell, I had a job when I graduated school and I was really unhappy with the company. It was just not what I wanted to, where I wanted to be. But it was in my field, but... I, that's why I started to learn like what I am looking for in a company I want to work for. So then I quit that job. Um, I had like a mental breakdown one day, and then I, <laughs> the next day I quit. And then I went on vacation, came back. I found a contract position with another company because uh, I'm so lucky. Another company I'm unhappy with, but that's a contract, and they're definitely not going to keep me because they don't need more people. So I left a bit early before that contract ended. And now I'm job hunting, and it is actually the worst thing I think I've ever had to go through. Like worse than like worse than school. Every every day that I felt my life was terrible, having to wake up at seven a.m. to go to class, not even comparable. <laughs> not even comparable. That's why when I hear like people complaining, especially people who just graduated school, that they can't find anything and they've been searching for so long. I'm like, how long is so long? Like a couple of weeks? Because you just graduated like yeah, it's a it's, few weeks ago. So don't tell me you've worked so hard yet. And then everyone was like, when I first found my job, everyone was like, oh, like, that's so good. You find a job so soon. And everyone's kind of giving like a pat on the back for it. But it's also like, I knew it wasn't where I wanted to be. And I knew... Like, yeah, it just wasn't where I could see myself at a company I see myself growing at. So, like, I maybe that's just me being hard on myself. So I wasn't that, like, hype on it. Because I'm like, no, this isn't this isn't it. Like, this is not. So it was just weird. But I'm still looking. I'm still trying to stay positive and not. The other day I took a depression nap. I was just, <laughs> I was just so, like, I can't apply jobs anymore. And I just slept. I just wanted to sleep. So I couldn't. <laughs> like didn't want to be awake anymore um i was so frustrated i just wanted to sleep but we at the same time we are so lucky we have the option to like work harder at the creative projects we want to eventually make our full-time careers because i know there's a lot of people out there who you know work purely for money and then come home and and eat and sleep and then do the same thing the next day without any real direction of what they want to do because that's what they want to do they want to survive and for us it's not only surviving but it's also like wanting to make our dreams come true so it's it's weird looking at at another person's perspective it's also different for us because we both have a home still i just think that definitely makes a difference in terms of like if we lived on our own we'd have to survive like someone asked me they're like what would you do if like you couldn't live with your parents anymore and i was just like oh well I guess I have to figure it out. I, I would have no choice. <laughs> they're just I'll like, yeah, they're like, work do at what a you would need. Yeah, they're like, do what you would need to do if you like if you didn't have that that backup plan. And I was like, 
It's like, yeah, but I, th- I think I'm trying. Like, I feel like I'm, I don't know. It's, it's just- even scarier that way because I feel like I would be doing the same thing I do now, except I would be, I'd probably have a mental breakdown every single day because of yeah. bills and all the necessities. Because if I say I got a part-time job at a restaurant downtown, I'd be working there nights probably until like 2 or 3 a.m. And I'd come home, sleep for a few hours, probably wake up at hopefully 8 to work on projects and then go to work again for like yeah like four it would essentially be the same thing just like different harder or just different out yeah it would be be worse because i wouldn't have access to a car you know i do interviews with so many people i drive there i take my equipment with me and i wouldn't have those small luxuries that i'm like thankful for yeah our lifestyle is just terrible it would be harder yeah i just feel like we definitely I don't know. It just makes things a little easier. Like, obviously, I quit my job because I live at home. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, that's the only reason I felt comfortable doing it. But if, I don't know, I, I definitely wouldn't have done it. I don't know if I would have. Actually, I don't even know because I, I literally hated my life there. So I don't even know. And you know I'm impulsive. Then you'd probably you, move back home if you if you oh, went yeah. downtown. That actually would be, yeah. So I don't know. But yeah, essentially, the whole purpose thing and figuring out... I just feel like it, I was I was talking to this with Vax the other day, and then we're just thinking how like right now I'm twenty I'm turning twenty five this year. Yeah, and old it's just, lady. It's just weird that all these things we're doing now, and then in ten years, everyone just like like we're at a cottage, and like our little friends are just like we're like I'm like sitting there watching all my friends be stupid and drunk, and just like in ten years we're gonna be like all real adults. Like everyone's just gonna morph into this person that just owns a house and has a family, and it's like. That just doesn't seem like it's even in the horizon at all for me. So it's just, it's weird that what we're doing now is kind of putting us into the into our future selves, quote unquote. Yeah, everything you do now contributes it to just, your future self. And I don't see these pieces coming together right now. There's yeah. no puzzle right now. There's like no pieces and there's no puzzle and there's nothing coming together. <laughs> I know, but it's crazy all the things that can happen with within a year. So you never know, right? That's true. That's very true. A lot can happen in several months mm-hmm. so. like um our friend kenzie tells me all the time that i should move out and be independent and all those things which i want to do and it's not like i'm not independent living at home but it's just so difficult when you think about all the expenses in your head and it's like can i survive but then again she's surviving you have to do it yeah and like other people are surviving it's because like they are forcing themselves to do that yeah and we also live really close to the city yeah so like, I mean, we're pretty lucky where we live. Specifically, yeah. the location where we live is we're pretty, we're not like dying, like we're not, it's not that big of an effort to get downtown. Without traffic, I can drive down in like less than half an hour. Yeah. So we're not, it's not like we're out in the boonies or something like that. So. And as I'm getting older, the hustle and bustle doesn't appeal to me anymore. So. Yeah. You're opposite. I'm like trying to be in it. No, it's like leave me alone like I just I just want my own like quiet space yeah I think you I think yeah I, I can't see you moving downtown anytime soon no even I if I like do it it's because I am making money and I'm rich and I can that's yeah. the only reason I would I don't yeah I can't see you doing that yeah like I, I definitely do before I you prefer do it. comfort over all of that I prefer like being comfortable but yeah so Abby our friend um, she is actually an HR professional and professional. we wanted to talk to her about her, like her 
perspective from a professional side what she thinks about job hunting and interviews and things like that. So I think you're going to talk to her about it. Hey, Ray. Let me come closer to you. Okay, so my first question is... You're I'm literally. I know. I know. Talking. I don't think that's a good call. I'm gonna leave this in, and then Annie oh will get mad. God. Okay, so we'll start now. Okay. This freaking guy. Um, why do you think I haven't found a job yet? I think because you're picky. Really? Yeah. I think no. I don't think you're picky in the actual process because you'll apply to anything and anything that you think is interesting, and then you get an interview, and then you're like, yeah this place but then when you're actually there I feel like they don't meet your expectations and then you're like this place is hell and then, and then you just and then you just don't want to do it but I feel like the places that I really what I actually want they don't give me a chance so I end up at the places that are that end up being hell you know what I mean yeah but the last two places that you worked at you were initially excited kind of yeah, like uh, yeah. The first cool. one, the first one, I was, yeah, I was pretty yeah. excited. The second one was like half excitement, half I need a job right now, so this this will do for now. Yeah, but then I think once you find something wrong with management or something, then you're like you fixate on it, <laughs> and then it's like this place is hell. I need to leave. I can't if, do it. If a place, if I find a place isn't being run well, I'm just like no. I don't want to be part. Yeah. I'm be part of this hot mess. Exactly. Whereas other pl- people like me will be like, "This is paying your dues. We just gotta stick it out for at least a year." Whereas you're like, "Bye." I'd rather. Okay, I'm. I'm down to pay my dues. I just want to pay my dues at a place that, that isn't a hot mess. Yeah, that you think you're gonna grow at. Yeah. Which is fair, but I think even places that are hot messes, you can use that as an opportunity to grow. Because then you can be like, this place sucked, and I made it better. I guess. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I could always just say that I made it better, even though maybe I didn't, but whatever. Today, the, at, at the interview I had, he, like, out of all the interviews I've ever been to, yeah. he was the first person to be like, so, uh, what about, the, like, the, I'm not going to say the company, but the company I was at for the first job I got. Yeah. Uh, he was like, so you were only there for uh, four months. He's like, uh, did you did you give it a, a good a real real shot? And I was just like, it's so hard for me to say to say without talking shit about a company. Yeah. So it sounds more unprofessional, but I was just like. I know, I tried to be around the bush, but still say that, like, the it company sucks. had a lot of issues, and people were literally getting mad about, getting mad at how the company's being run, and in terms of, like, like, working with us and stuff like that. Like, I tried to be around the bush. Yeah. But literally, no one else has asked me that question till the, till to, till today. This guy was like, did you give it a real shot? And I just wanted to be like, you don't know my life. Like, <laughs> I think, because, like, people look at your time periods on your resume. Yeah, So I know. people ask that questions to themselves it's just some people aren't ballsy enough to actually ask it in an interview yeah like i ask it in interviews some people people have asked like oh like tell me about your other experience and then i explain but they don't specifically ask yeah oh so like why are we only there for 48 hours (laughs) yeah well it's true well because sometimes things like that you can read into and be like that shows loyalty or that shows commitment or that shows maybe she just job job hops when she finds better opportunities mm. do you know what I mean like sometimes it can translate that way so it's good that he asked you that so you could explain yourself and yeah. like that might be why other places don't even like 
put you towards the interview phase because they, they haven't just asked. think that. Yeah. yeah. Like, they won't even give you the shot to explain yourself. People think that you're not capable of doing a job. And it's also just like, I literally did this for four years straight. And I, like, have other experience on top of that. So it's just like, some people, like, I don't know, like... Sometimes, like, all these jobs now want someone who has, like, two or three years experience. Yeah. Or has, like, very, very specific experience. Yeah. But it's also just, like, I could literally figure this out in eight hours. Just give me one day and I can figure this out. Like, <laughs> if you were smart, but they want to make sure that you're not dumb. I think they want proof that you can actually do something. Proof is whatever. But, I mean, like, let's just say I know how to do everything, but there's, like, one thing. That you don't know. Yeah. I'm just like I can figure it out. I I I think I'm capable of figuring it out. But not everyone has that mindset. Yeah, so that's why I think it is. I think it's like I think it's also one of the, the reason why I get mad. It's like I feel like people don't think I'm capable. Yeah. Of doing this, of doing the job. Yeah. So like, even if they tell me that I did, I like that they that they talked to a thousand people and like it was really competitive and all this stuff. It's like. Them not picking me makes me feel like they don't think I could do it. And that's the annoying part, because it's like, come on. I don't think that's what it is, though, because being on... That's how I interpret it. I know, but being on the other end, it's so hard when you only have one open slot, and there are three people that you really, really like, and you know all three are capable, and then it's just like, how do you make that decision to fill that one slot, even though... There's three or however many that you really, really like, and you know you're going to disappoint someone. And then it just comes to little things that make you decide. But it yeah. still sucks because yeah. you know you're disappointing other people who could also do that job. Yeah. Because I've been on both ends where it's been like three or two people for one position that you know both of them are capable and you both you liked both of them a lot. But at the end of the day, you got to make one decision. And then I've been on the other end where they were like, we really, really liked you and really, really thought you were capable. But you came in second because we decided to hire the one who had more experience. Yeah. So it's just like little things like experience wise or whatever that they have to base the decision on. Dumb. Very dumb. But... So there's a man named David Silverberg who runs the Toronto Poetry Slam and... He's doing exactly the things that we want to do now. What I mean by that is like he created a culture here through the Poetry Slam and he's like a staple thing, like not even him, but like the show is a staple thing in Toronto. It happens at the Drake Hotel, I think twice a month. I think yeah, I think he does it twice a month. It's each time it's popular. It's yeah. people, like it's a recognized event in poetry in Toronto and it gets sold out all the time so like if you're not there by a certain time all the tickets are gone and the house is packed so he was nice enough to sit down with me and kind of talk to me about his process because it's crazy because we want to go down like such a similar path as him yeah and yeah and he obviously it didn't start off that popular so we knew there's a lot to learn from him and how he got to where he is so he was nice enough to sit down with Annie and answer some of her questions. You said the community was already there. So mm-hmm. how do you get them to take your event seriously and want to be a part of your event? 
I guess one of the key things that all great spoken word events have to do is not just have the open mic portion where people can sign up and slam and do the open mic, but have a feature poet every time. So because we had a feature poet every month that we knew was amazing, that would do 20 minutes of great poetry, that really helped us cement our reputation and make us you know, favorable in the eyes of minds of people who've never been to a poetry slam before, but maybe came one time to hear John Akapata from Ottawa or Shane Coyzan from Vancouver and realized that, you know what, this is real. This is not just something I see on YouTube or see on Facebook or on Upworthy, but this is like live in front of my face and really dynamic. Uh, and also the poets who took the mic who just yeah. got really good and they got great at what they did. Um, some were great, some were, some were okay, but the ones who stood out, you know, kind of like what the whole slam is about, they moved on to the third round and the second round, so the kind of cream rises to the top at a poetry slam. So you get to see more of the poets who are quote-unquote maybe more talented or better writers, better performers, and that, I think, showed the audience that they have the power to kind of, you know, judge on who moves on and that's why Poetry Slam started because it democratizes art rather than people in ivory towers and editors decide who becomes publisher who becomes uh, the winner of an event it's the people with the scorecards as you've seen at the Slam decide on who moves on through the rounds and that's kind of powerful and very different than any other art form you have to find yourself pulling money out of your own pocket to mm -hmm. yeah that, that came out in the early days probably maybe with stuff like the prizes um, maybe with things like paying for the feature poet's dinner if he's coming here from afar and I didn't want him to pay you know, his own money for that. I felt like more etiquette kind of reasons to kind of fund it on my own. Um, trophies, something you know that we give at the end of the year kind of came out of our own pocket at first. But it really was only the first three years and then everything started to pay for itself and started to pay back for itself too for the money I invested it in. And then OAC kind of validated us by accepting one of our grants in 2008 and that was kind of a kind of a confidence boost us that hey they uh, are looking at Poetry Slam respectfully and not just like reading series at Harborfront and the Art Bar so in the first few years of starting out, did you get rejected by a couple of grants? Mm-hmm. All of them. <laughs> so I had a poetry phase, I think it was second year of university, where I was like super inspired to do slam poetry for some reason. So I went to the Toronto Poetry Slam and did an open mic. I was shocked because there were like 10 other people that wanted to do it and we had to put our names in a hat and only two people got picked to do it. So I was like, I'm not going to do it. What are the chances? And then they called out my name. So <laughs> it was meant to be. Yeah. So if you want to keep listening, um, I'll insert my poem I did like three years ago at the end. But if not. Yeah, that's the end of episode one. This is exciting. It's finally done. Okay. Okay. Bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> He's gonna be coming out. This one's for my mom. <laughs> when I was eight years old, my mom told me a secret. Her job required her to be literally be her job required her to literally be one with the earth. Quiet as the night and as fast as the blowing winds, I thought she was going to tell me she was Mother Nature. Because she said her job was something I wouldn't be able to tell my friends, and I never understood why. She only went to work on summer nights, especially when it rained. I would, be the, I would be there to drop her off at the mall parking lot where a small white bus with black tinted windows full of people greeted me as I gave her away to its opening doors. These were the faces of people I was familiar with. As I grew older, they became faces of people I could read. 
Faces that held a secret. Faces like my mom's. And that's when I learned about worms. I never knew an earthworm could mean so much to someone. My mom explained to me one night that although they have no eyes, they are light sensitive and, able, and are able to feel the vibrations in the ground. She said, if you weren't fast enough, you wouldn't be able to catch them. I pieced together all the clues that my mom was giving to me throughout my life, but was too scared to say out loud. She was, one with the, she was one with the earth, so the worms wouldn't be able to sense her vibrations. She was as fast as the wind, so she would be able to catch them. She worked in the rain on summer nights, because that's when the worms came out. My mother was a worm picker, and she was ashamed of it. That white bus with black tinted windows shielded the broken hearts of every immigrant parent that once had a dream. Their bruised, their bruised knees and dirty clothes showed a history of long summer nights spent crouched over close to soil, picking dreams out of the ground that once were that were once so vivid, like the rainfall that washes the tears down their face, seeping to the grounds. They now plant seeds of opportunities for their children, and through the soil are the earth, earthworms that still hold a little piece of their hearts. That these earthworms will turn into gold, and they will be able to return home with pride, to be able to pay for their children's university tuition, like my mom did for me. And there's no shame in that. Yeah.